Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Three Peas in a Pod. I'm Paul Jarvis, editor of Partnerships Bulletin and P3 Bulletin. And today I'm joined by my colleague focusing on the Middle East market, Alicia Buller. Hi, Paul. She's interviewing Mustafa Fahor, Chief Operating Officer for the Middle East for Plenary, based in the UAE. And following the conversation, Alicia and I will then discuss some of the main points coming out of the conversation. Mustafa, thanks for joining us today. Can you introduce yourself and tell us briefly about your role as COO at Plenary Middle East and what it involves? Uh, thank you for having me on this podcast. It's a pleasure, Alicia. Uh, my name is Mustafa Fahor, I'm the Chief Operating Officer for Plenary in the Middle East and I'm based in the, the UAE. I basically lead uh, Plenary's business activities here as a uh, lead independent developer that focuses on the PPP market for the Middle East. So Plenary recently opened its Middle East office, well, a couple of years ago now, and now has two offices in the UAE. Can we take that to mean that Plenary has confidence in the region and therefore we might see some big plans for the region? Yes, of course. So we opened originally our headquarters in Abu Dhabi as we uh, also uh, did a successful on the project. And, you know, we continue to be encouraged by the pipeline of infrastructure across the UAE. And we opened our uh, second office in uh, Dubai. We see the region maturing as a hub for PPPs. We're so pleased to work alongside such a willing government as partners and global companies. And after successfully reaching financial close and, and now in construction of the Zaid City Schools, it's given us a lot of confidence uh, to continue to invest in the UAE and the, and the broader GCC market. Yes, so Zayed Schools was a bit of a landmark project, wasn't it, for the UAE being the first education PPP. Do you see that there'll be more opportunities in education and PPPs in the UAE? Yes, most definitely. Being the uh, first schools PPP in the, in the UAE, we're uh, very encouraged and, and really enjoyed the uh, process. It was quite a transparent process that we went through right through from the RFQ to the RFP, achieving commercial and financial close, and now the project's now in construction. Uh, it's given us a lot of confidence, and we're seeing the growth of the educational sector and social infrastructure across the region, as most recently you had the Oman schools close and, and a number of wave of school packages in Saudi Arabia. What's driving that, that the need for such education demand? Well, we're very optimistic on the social infrastructure sector here, and not only in the UAE, but right across the Gulf, you know, especially with the rise of population, the vision that's set, especially on the infrastructure investment and diversification. And we're seeing this right through, as I mentioned, both from the UAE to Oman to Saudi Arabia, and also Qatar as well, that's closed the number and uh, are looking at uh, bringing a number to the market. So uh, the rise of population, the diversification and focus on investment has really driven this growth in this sector. So where do you see other big opportunities in the Gulf PPP market? So obviously education is one. Can you tell us about some of the other sectors that you see might be seeing more PPP investment in the coming years? Yes, so we're seeing a number of different industries coming out, especially in the PPP sector. And, and one of them that we as a you know, global sort of developer with experience in are focusing on as well as the healthcare sector. We're seeing high quality healthcare services across the Gulf. In Dubai, you have the uh, Cardiology Center of Excellence, PPP, that's ongoing at the moment. And most recently in Saudi Arabia, where they have the Al-Ansad Hospital. And we also have heard and seen announcements around further hospitals across the region. 
Further to this, you know, outside the education sector, we're also seeing transportation, most recently like the Bahrain Metro that uh, got announced out of Bahrain, which we are, uh, you know, qualified for and we're, we're following with, uh, with interest, and also technology uh, and innovation, things like digital infrastructure. And this is traditionally outside of the power and energy water sector that's, that's had a long track record here in the Gulf region. That's a notable shift, actually, isn't it, from those traditional kind of PPPs like power and water into wider services like education, infrastructure and hospitals. Would you say that's been a notable shift in the last two or three years? Most definitely a notable shift and the rise of and focus on social infrastructure is quite sort of new to the market. And we're, we're seeing this and to work with such willing government partners that are really bringing the private sector to, to help deliver this is wonderful. So you mentioned education, healthcare. Are these sectors likely to take off right across the Gulf from the UAE out into Saudi, Bahrain, Qatar and so on? Yes, most definitely. We're, we're encouraged uh, seeing the announcements, seeing the number of projects that are either coming to market or are out in RFP stages. So, you know, from the educational sector, as I mentioned, right through the different countries, has really taken off. But to see, you know, the healthcare projects as well being announced, you know, Ministry of Health in uh, Saudi Arabia has really been pushing. I mentioned uh, Dubai with the Cardiology Centre of Excellence. We're seeing this growth, but we're also seeing growth in waste management, environmental projects. So, you know, Dubai recently, you know, closed and, uh, you know, the waste energy plant in uh, Dubai, and we're seeing announcements in Abu Dhabi. And we're seeing this really grow right through the region, technology and innovation, the, the digital sector we're hearing as well, is being focused on by, by government uh, procurers. Do you think it's fair to say that the, the Gulf is a, is a global hotspot right now for PPP activity? I definitely think it's uh, fair to say, seeing the number of announcements of PPPs coming out of the region, that really the government is willing and to work alongside willing government partners that are looking at PPPs as a preferred procurement uh, method does give us a lot of confidence to continue to invest in, uh, you know, in the UAE and the broader GCC. So Saudi Arabia in particular is very active in the PPP sector right now. And generally, all the headlines are on Saudi Arabia. It's massive giga projects, it's ambitious uh, tourism projects and infrastructure diversification. Do you think the hype around Saudi Arabia is justified? And also, what opportunities and challenges lie within the kingdom's PPP market? That's a good question. Look, we are encouraged by the commitment to the PPP model and the development of such a strong pipeline that's coming out of Saudi Arabia. Saudi does have a strong track record in delivering utilities and water projects. And obviously, seeing the social infrastructure or social PPPs is just coming out to market and we'll expect that it will take some time to mature but we also think you know that they'll deliver across this you know strong track record they've had in the power and water across that sector so yes as plenary we are closely following the market developments and and we're also actively engaging with the procurers and potential partners to support the the kingdom's uh, infrastructure ambition saudi arabia announced 200 PPPs, didn't it, in April. Will Plenary be looking to invest in any of those projects in Saudi Arabia, those 200 that were announced? Yeah, so we're we're closely following uh, those developments and and we're actually engaging with the the procurers Mm -hmm. to support these ambitions. 
and looking at uh, certain projects where we can bring our skill set to the market. You mentioned that you were passionate about the value that PPPs can bring to society in general. Can you tell me a bit about how you see PPP adding value to the Gulf region now and in the, in the coming years? Yeah, personally, the part I love about social infrastructure and PPPs is not only, you know, uh, is the private sector investing, bringing innovation and efficiencies and global companies, but you're also delivering a much needed value to society, which is education, you know, to see the delivery of schools uh, where pupils and students can come and have access to education for us means a lot. So we feel like this is a two-way benefit. It's not just for the private uh, sector or, or government, but it's also for the community. So that makes me quite passionate around PPPs in the education sector, the healthcare sector, and many others. Dubai, where you're speaking from today, recently introduced a digitisation initiative for PPPs. It was quite a major announcement at the government level, which looks at a solution for tracking all the parties involved in the PPP pipeline, making it more transparent and streamlined. Do you think this kind of initiative will help to encourage investment into the Dubai PPP pipeline? Most definitely. The innovative platform launched by the Dubai government, you know, further supports the growing interest of PPPs as a popular procurement method to really help drive the private and public sector partnerships. We honestly applaud the new platform and heartened by the Dubai government's willingness to, you know, foster that increased public-private sector collaboration, uh, but it will also provide and achieve greater quality long-term community benefit to their public infrastructure program. What factors do you think need to be in place within a market for plenary to consider investing in a project? Yeah, for plenary, when we enter a market, we, we actually take it quite serious. And, and the first thing that we look for is are the procurers, you know, is, is it a transparent and robust procurement process that sort of meets international standards is really critical in assessing market opportunities. And through our first deal, which was the Zayed City Schools uh, by the Abu Dhabi Investment Office, we got that confidence and that's what gave us the confidence to continue to invest and build a team out here in the, in the UAE. The PPP opportunity you know, needs to be in an industry that we can provide core strength as well and our experience. And Plannery brings a number, you know, a huge level of experience in schools, education, healthcare, transport, metro, roads right through Australia to North America. And we want to bring those capabilities. So the industries that PPPs are getting procured is also quite important for us. So that's a that's another consideration. We also like the open and competitive procurement process that brings a whole of life approach because that then gives us the ability to debunk the whole thing that PPPs aren't flexible. Well, with our experience and what we can bring, and obviously because of the cultural sort of sensitivities, each PPP is different and have different sensitivities in markets, we like to bring that innovation and sophistication to transactions to provide a robust and innovative value for money solution to the government. Are there any unique challenges that investors should consider when looking at Gulf-based PPPs compared to the rest of the world? Are there any unique country or region-specific risks that should be taken into account? Yes, you know, each country has its uh, unique sensitivities and, and approaches. And, and I think for, for the Gulf in general, demonstrating that you are committed to the region by investing and sharing risk together 
uh, with the client to deliver a solution that thereafter is important. Bringing international experience, uh, skill set, innovation, and investment is important to, to demonstrate. In the end, the PPP acronym says it for itself, and I, and I think the most important letter in that is partnership. And it's a partnership to deliver a solution together and a partnership that you'd be working for in the longer term. So it's a quite unique challenge that you're working with a partner for such a long time. So some concessions can go you know, from anywhere from 15 to almost 30 years. So it's a long-term partnership and uh, you need to be willing to invest and share that risk uh, on the longer term. Some of the challenges will be working with, you know, clients uh, on some of the sort of those cultural elements that are different and unique in different markets. And it's about how innovative, how experienced your team can come up with to demonstrate that, that PPPs can be amended, tweaked, and are flexible enough to deliver those solutions required to make the transaction happen. So these are some of the the challenges, you know, the unique challenges that you'll see in in, in different marketplaces and one that we we see here that we help to address. So it's a partnership that you work together with to to really help shape and and deliver a solution that the government's looking for. Thank you so much for your time today, Mr. Farr. Some fantastic insights there. Clearly, there's a lot that will be happening in the PPP sector across the region in the coming years. And it looks like plenary intend to play a very big role in that. Yes, we're, we're committed and uh, are encouraged and uh, have a lot of confidence in the region around PPPs. Well, thank you, Alicia and Mustafa, for a really interesting look at how plenary views the Middle East PPP market. And I think, Alicia, you know, coming out of that, there's a lot of excitement, obviously, around the whole region, but particularly, I think, sector-wise, education he talked quite a lot about and obviously plenary involved in that first project for them and it makes sense doesn't it really when you think of the increasing population that is expected throughout the region and i think particularly saudi arabia have big ambitions on that and the fact as well i think we talked about it before the fact there's going to be you know a kind of burgeoning middle class which is why the social infrastructure is so important yeah and all economies are built on a strong education sector. It's the basis of a strong economy, so it's important to get that bit right. Like you say, there's a growing population and um, there's simply not enough schools for the population. So there's the volume and also the the quality of the schools needs to be high also for the the kind of economies that they're looking at and, and what they're hoping to achieve. Like you said, actually, Saudi Arabia in particular has around 150 schools in the pipeline. I don't think there's any volume like that in the world currently for any sector, really, especially not education. But yeah, it's not just Saudi, it's Oman, Bahrain, Qatar. I'd say education is one sector that's being looked at by all of the Gulf states quite seriously. Yes, yeah, definitely. And well, obviously, and you did a uh, webinar recently where, you know, we had a representative from the NCP in Saudi Arabia speaking. And you know, the point that he made, I think, was that there's nowhere in the world covering so many different sectors. and you know, in such volume as Saudi Arabia at the moment. And I think that's obviously really exciting for the market and also probably a big challenge as well, really. Yeah. It's not that they're just announcing them, they're actually doing them, which is good. So we're starting to see precedents, like we saw the one in the UAE, the school actually with plenary and Bezix, which is the blueprint for the first school. 
uh, which I think has about 3,000 pupils, but that's a success. And then from that comes confidence to do more and more and more. So we're starting to see precedence, I guess. Yes, definitely. It's starting to move, isn't it, from that kind of theory to reality. Mm. And I think as that happens, you know, we speak all the time, don't we, to people who talk about the Middle East. Some say, yes, we're, we're all in, you know, like, like plenary, really. Others are a bit more cautious and a bit concerned that the market may not materialise. But the more of these projects that actually get into construction, then I think we're going to see more and more people say, actually, yes, this is a market where we can do business and we're not worried that things are going to fall over at the final hurdle. And I think, you know, again, we talked about this before, but that was an issue maybe five to 10 years ago, people worrying that, or and actually seeing projects that will come along, get so far, and then actually the, the government would decide, it's quite expensive, we'll, we can just fund it out of our own coffers. And that change has clearly happened in a lot of these markets, particularly, as we say, Saudi Arabia. Yeah, that has been an issue historically. Egypt is one of those countries where the project will get so far along and then it will stall and, and then you lose all investor confidence, don't you, in the pipeline? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think also Mustafa pointed out, you know, moving on from social infrastructure, from education particularly, he also mentioned transport, which... You know, there's still a healthy pipeline in the region. You know, we a lot of the focus is understandably on social infrastructure now, but plenty of transport projects still out there. Yeah, transport I would say is second to education in terms of volume and demand. Transport obviously is the linchpin of of growing the economy and infrastructure that feeds all the other sectors. You need to have a thriving airport, transport links, and so on to feed the economy. And especially, I guess, as they transition away from an economy based kind of solely on oil and gas exploration and, and distribution to one that is much more consumer based. Yeah, yeah. Services, manufacturing, you need transport links. One that I read a lot about and hear a lot about is the Bahrain Metro. They're yet to announce the successful bidders, but that's one that's talked about a lot in the community is one that everyone has an eye on. Bahrain doesn't have any metro as yet, and it's quite a big project. So that's an interesting one to watch out for. And then um, Saudi Arabia, as we saw in last week's webinar, they're building an entire country from scratch to some extent. If you look at Neom, it's like the size of Belgium and it doesn't have any transport. So it needs roads, it needs airports. And I think Saudi also has around 100 different transport projects and it's got three airports. That's entire airports built from scratch. So there's lots going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just it's on a different scale, isn't it, to most of the rest yeah. of the world? yeah. I think as well, one of the, the other things to come out of that conversation, which I thought was quite interesting, was the talk around the, the focus on technology and innovation. And, you know, I do think that this might be actually one of the reasons why PVP is becoming such a major focus for governments in the region, because obviously they need the private sector to bring that expertise. They want that international expertise and experience of, of what has been developed in other countries. And, you know, as we talk about places like Neom, where they're starting from scratch to build such a huge amount of infrastructure, they're going to need all the innovations and technical know-how, technological know-how that they can find, aren't they? Yeah, so there's lots of reasons that they're turning to the PPP model. Obviously, de-risking finance is one of them, but innovation, Saudi's still quite a new country. It's still growing. It's kind of tech skills pool. So it will help enormously to import some of that innovation knowledge from the US, from various countries. They're looking to become a leader in AI, for example, by 2030. And it's challenging to do that alone. Yes, yeah. And I think as well, you know, we 
put Saudi Arabia perhaps to one side for a second, but you know, look at some of the other countries, Bahrain, Oman, they're not actually, in terms of the size of the country, they're not very big. So actually being able to bring in major international organizations from outside who can bring in their experience from other countries and actually you know, pool that experience is going to be hugely beneficial, isn't it? Yeah. And also one advantage of bringing in that, that expertise or that innovation over a period of, say, 10, 20 years, you're going to be transferring those skills onto your local population. And I think that's another key driver is you're bolstering your own knowledge within the country. Like if, I guess you call it knowledge transfer, which is another key part of developing the country. Yes. Yeah, certainly. I think one other thing that sort of just caught my attention in the conversation was this idea that, or rather the debunking of the idea that PPPs aren't flexible. I think particularly here, sitting here in the UK, PFI has been roundly criticised, sometimes rightly, over a long period for being inflexible and not allowing people to kind of make changes and everything. And there, there are obviously benefits to you know not allowing an authority to make constant changes to something as it's being procured. But, you know, the conversation that you had, obviously, with Mustafa suggests he thinks that there is room for flexibility within the PPP structures that are being used. And I think, you know, that's probably a good example, actually, isn't it, of how the Middle East market as a whole is sort of starting to push the, the model forward and make changes. Yeah, Mustafa from Saudi PPP unit seemed to actually welcome, actively welcome some kind of innovation in the PPP model. He showed a real openness to perhaps doing things differently as needed because... We're looking at such a vast volume of projects and a lot of them actually are unprecedented in terms of scale, use. It's quite hard to predict what a million people will be doing in a city when they're not moved in yet, for example. You can't work out the habits of the population very easily because there's so many unknowns at the moment, which are the population growth, economy, habits, energy usage and so on. So he, he seemed very open to looking at new ways to kind of manage that or model that. Yeah, And I think it's quite exciting that Saudi Arabia could, uh, in effect, be, be a blueprint for the new types of models around the world. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, we've, we've talked about it before on this podcast, I think we've written about it as well, but obviously the basis on which many toll roads, for example, have often been done is that you can largely predict what the volume of traffic is going to be between points A and point B because you know what is at points A and point B and how many people live there and want to go that to the other place and things like that. As you say, with something like Neon, you're starting from complete scratch. You don't know necessarily what facilities are going to be at point A or point B. You don't know how many people are going to be living in one of these places and wanting to go to the other place. So it's completely up in the air, isn't it? All that sort of... It is. And, and you don't even know actually what mode of transport they're going to be using because apparently it's going to be driverless and it's going to be flying cars and all kinds of things. So how do you quantify those without yeah. seeing them in action. Yes, absolutely. And I think things like flying cars, I think we've always been promised flying cars at some point in the future, haven't we, in, in society? <laughs> I've got my money's on Saudi Arabia for the first flying car in Neom. I think that, yeah, at the moment, there's certainly probably a, a good bet for it. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you again, Alicia, and thank you, Mustafa, as well, for, for your time. Really interesting conversation. And yeah, we look forward to speaking soon. Thank you, Paul. Pleasure. <laughs>